In the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a TV sitcom called Friends. And in one of the episodes, two of the characters, Rachel and Monica, were, were sitting on a couch in a, in a coffee shop. They were talking. And they were talking about Monica being a virgin and not yet having sex. And so Rachel says to her, Honey, you've waited long enough. Yes, sex doesn't have to be that big of a deal. There shouldn't be all these rules and restrictions, you know? People should be able to sleep with whoever they want, whenever they want. And the point she was making was, don't be a virgin anymore. You might as well have sex. It's not that big of a deal. Just find someone and have sex. And that was, that was a little bit of the spirit of, of the whole show. And they, they worked really hard in the show to make sex a very simple matter. Just do what you want with whoever you want, whenever you want. And so they, they brought a lot of simplicity to thinking about sex. The irony is that while a show like Friends or our, our culture at large has made sex and, and human sexuality uh, to be a very casual thing, maybe even trying to make it a simple thing, no big deal, all the conversations that we seem to be having about sex and about our sexuality, they seem to go in every direction. Uh, they've gotten actually very confusing almost like the, the freeway interchanges here in L.A. But what, what if the issue was actually quite simple? What if there was a way of looking at sex, at our sexuality, that makes things clear, and it lays out a clear path to understanding and expressing our sexuality as it was designed? third episode of Breadcrumbs, our youth ministry podcast at Bread of Life Church. I'm Jason Lowe, the youth minister at Bread of Life. This episode kicks off a three-part series on the topic of sexuality. It's an issue that's both multifaceted and really relevant in our current culture. Before we dive into today's discussion, I want to give us a quick preview of how this series will play out. In today's podcast, we'll be talking about what God's design for human sexuality is. In the second part, we'll, we'll take a look at gender, male, female, and to think about some of the issues related, uh, related to our gender. And then finally, in our third episode of the series, we'll, we'll look at homosexuality and the issues that are, are related to uh, the, the idea, the, the reality of same-sex attraction. The first thing to know when thinking about our sexuality is that actually we're a tainted source of knowledge and understanding. In other words, if we really want to understand our sexuality, we ourselves can't be the, the first and the final source of, of information and knowledge. The reason that we know this to be true is because in Genesis chapter 3, we read about Adam and Eve sinning for the first time. They ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. They disobeyed God. And so when they did that, what happened was there was uh, then for all of humanity, uh, a deep-seated corruption uh, that took place that tainted the image of God that, that he had placed in every single human, be- 
every single human being. And the reason that this is so important is we need to understand that every expression of that image of God in us now has been tainted by sin. And so what that means is that if we look first and finally to our own ideas and we look internally to understand uh, our sense of sexuality, uh, we, we're looking at a source that uh, that's been tainted and can't wholly be trusted. Um, it's not that our feelings and our our own thoughts about it are are worthless or they can't contribute to the conversation. But if we use our own thoughts and our own feelings as the final authority to determine what what our sexuality is all about, uh, we're, we're we're looking at a source that that's not reliable enough. And so. Instead, what we need to do is to realize that our understanding of our sexuality should fit into God's framework, into God's framework. So when we think about our own thoughts and feelings about sexuality, uh, we need to weigh that, lay it over, measure it against God's framework for our sexuality. Because when we when we look at God's framework, we're going to see that it's actually very specific. And what that means then is that our approach to sexuality should also be very specific. We need to take our cues from what God himself says about our sexuality. And we find that he actually tells us quite a bit uh, in, in his word, in, in the Bible, in scripture. And if we look at scripture... Our cues begin at the beginning. When God created human beings, he created them in his image. This is an idea we get from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So you see here in these uh, two verses, there's a sense of parallelism that's going on here, where we read that God created mankind in his own image, and then it takes that phrase, in his image, and it says, in the image of God, he created them. And then we say, male and female, he created them. So there's something here where the writer is very intentionally connecting the image of God to this idea of male and female. Our gender and our sexuality, it's not our identity, but there is something really important about our gender and about our sexuality as human beings that is an expression of being made in the image of God. And so we have to think about our sexuality in terms of what God was doing with male and female when he started right at the beginning making male and female Adam and Eve. But what is it that God is doing with gender here? Why make male and female? Why why not just have two of the same? And I think we could we could say a lot of things here, but one of the, one one point I I really want to highlight for us is this idea of complementarity. Complementarity. There's a, a there's a complementarity to our maleness and our femaleness that I think really helps people to see or to understand the complementarity that's happening uh, in the Trinity with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's things about male and female, the the way we relate to one another, the the physical aspects of our genders, the characteristics that we 
that we see in men or women uh, that really are complementary to one another. And that that aspect of our our gender, I think, is an expression of the image of God and understanding that our God is uh, is is triune, three in one. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit complementing each other uh, in in very real and tangible ways. And so that idea of gender and complementarity is something that we'll explore more deeply in our next episode. But but for for our for our purposes here, we need to understand that when God made us, when He made Adam and Eve, made human beings, He made us to to be male and female, and so He uh, He He wrote our sexuality into our DNA, and so that's something we really need to consider when we think about well, what does it mean for us to be men or women, uh, or what does it mean. F- uh, to you know what is sex all about um, all of that has to do with what God created at the beginning and so <clears throat> actually we don't have to wait too much longer before we get some more more clues about our sexuality in Genesis chapter 2 in verses 24 and 25 we we get God establishing marriage it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You see, here God establishes marriage between Adam and Eve, and he's describing for us not just what Adam and Eve did, how they got married, but he's describing what he intends marriage to be, that a man would leave his parents woman would leave her parents and they would come together and be united they become one flesh and so you know there's there's this idea here of and this idea of one flesh i think it's actually quite a a layered idea here it's not just uh, they're coming together and they're living in the same house, but there's this idea of them coming together and there is a relational, uh, spiritual intimacy that, uh, that Adam and Eve or that a husband and wife share. And there's also a physical uh, union or oneness that, the, that they share. And so when we think about uh, our, our sexuality and we even think about the physical complementarity that, that the male and female anatomy have, uh, I think it takes us really to uh, our our the next stage of our story, and when we when we think about what marriage is, like why did God here in Genesis chapter two <clears throat> create marriage? Why did He establish marriage to be between a husband and a wife, man and a woman, and to talk about this idea of them becoming one flesh? And so that leads us all the way to the New Testament. <clears throat> and there are a lot of uh, you know uh, ideas that come about come in through scripture about marriage and about gender but but I want to point us to uh, the book of Ephesians and chapter 5 of that book and and when we look at uh, the apostle Paul is writing here when he's writing here about marriage he's talking about uh, the relationship between the husband and wife and really interesting he connects that relationship to uh, Christ in the church. And so he here in, in Ephesians chapter 5, he compares uh, the husband to Christ and he compares the wife to the church. And so he talks about the nature of that relationship, uh, talks about things like uh, the wife submitting to the husband and the wife loving, uh, loving the 
or sorry, the husband loving the wife, you know, the way that Christ loved the church. And so it's very clear here that what, what Paul is doing is he's creating a metaphorical link between our human marriage and the relationship between Christ and his church, right? All of his followers, Christians, people who have trusted him uh, as their Lord and their Savior. And so you have this image, and, and toward the end of the chapter, he talks about uh, the the idea of Christ and the church being connected to marriage as as this profound mystery. And I think what we understand from Ephesians chapter 5 here is that from the beginning, God gave marriage to humanity, not just for, uh, you know, our pleasure. It's not just for procreation, but there's a spiritual component to marriage that's really, really significant. It, a, a spiritual component that helps us to understand uh, the gospel, that helps us to understand salvation, that helps us to understand what it means to for for us to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this image of marriage where we have a relationship between husband and wife is supposed to help us to understand the relationship between Christ and his church. And so when we think about God creating in Genesis chapter one, male and female, making them in his own image and that the expression of that image is male and female Part of that expression is male and female. And then we look at Genesis chapter 2 where he establishes marriage and he says, man, woman, they will come together and be one flesh. And there's an intimacy there between the husband and wife. And then we look to Ephesians chapter 5 and we we read about Christ and the church uh, being a spiritual, being spiritually connected, metaphorically speaking, to the marriage relationship that we have, that we see here on earth between husband and wife. It, the, the story here that God is writing for our sexuality, I think it starts to become much clearer, where we see that God, his design for our sexuality, his, his idea of creating male and female was really a lot about us being able to express who he is and to express his image uh, in 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 our lives and in our relationships with each other and we see a complementarity that happens between men women and some of the differences that exist and we we kind of take that uh, all the way to the idea of marriage and we see that this idea of marriage it's not just about you know, finding someone I love or finding someone who makes me happy. But it's about making a covenant or a commitment to another person, someone of the opposite sex, who um, will then in our relationship with me, uh, we get to live out and express the kind of relationship that Christ has with his church. And there's an element of worship here where we, in our marriage relationships, we have the opportunity to worship God through the expression of this metaphor that that he's created here for us. Um, And so, you know, as I mentioned before, our sexuality, it's not just pragmatic. It's not primarily about our happiness or our joy or our fulfillment. And that's the message that comes out in our culture, that it's about what makes you happy. It's about what makes you feel fulfilled. Uh, It's not primarily about that. I came across a conversation uh, between 
uh, Dave Rubin, who is a libertarian political commentator, and Ali Stuckey, who's a conservative political social commentator. And they're talking about uh, a man who is gay, but also Christian, and uh, who is living a celibate life. And I want to I want to just play a short uh, clip of their conversation because I think it really helps to to clarify just some of the ideas that that our culture has about our sexuality and why those ideas really just don't fit uh, with God's design. Uh, there is another incredible story of, of someone who uh, became a Christian. He lived life as a gay person. He actually uh, was in prison. Um, and he lived life as a gay person, and he uh, became a Christian, and he lives, as far as I know, he lives a celibate lifestyle. And so he is not married. He is probably never going to be married. He might not ever be attracted to women, but because he is a Christian and Jesus has called us to deny ourselves, whatever our desires are that are sinful, uh, he lives a celibate lifestyle. And so I think See, that one just strikes me as deeply sad. Like I can get, yeah. on, you know, like I, really like, you know, I'm pretty tolerant about this stuff. Obviously yeah. that one just strikes me as he, he is gay. He, there is this religious piece of him in there that so the answer is then live alone and don't have kids and don't have a family. And yeah, don't have but a that and... is where you start conflating sexuality with identity and romantic relationships with the ultimate fulfillment, and that's not what the Christian believes. So I think what 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 Stucky is trying to communicate is that our sexuality really is not primarily about our our own fulfillment. It's not about me being happy, but it's actually about understanding and expressing who God is, what he's like, and what our relationship is to him. Our sex, uh, our gender, our marriages, uh, and us expressing our sexuality, all of that, God designed it for us to be markers for him, for us to see who he is and for us in our relationship with him. Now, <clears throat> I want to make it clear that I, you know, I don't think that we need marriage or sex uh, to be fulfilled in our identity as human beings. We don't need to get married. We don't need to have sex uh, in, in our lives in order for us to fully understand who God is. In fact, if you look at you know, the Apostle Paul or even Jesus himself, we see two men who were s single and celibate their whole lives. And uh, they, they were very much uh, human and understood what it meant to be made in the image of God. And so it wasn't necessary for them to express their sexuality, for them to understand these things. But God did establish marriage and sex <clears throat> so that we could understand um, the, the relational connection and intimacy that he has with people. So now that we've kind of laid out what God's design is for our sexuality, uh, what, what do we take away from, from our conversation here? I, I want to offer three, three ideas uh, for, for our listeners uh, as far as what, what we want to take away uh, from God's design for our sexuality. The first is that we need to look to Scripture for our understanding of what He's designed because He's communicated uh, His design in Scripture, and that's what we need to weigh our understanding against. The second thing is remember that to remember that marriage and sex, they're not about how they make me feel. It's not about my pleasure or my joy or my fulfillment. 
but marriage and sex really are about something deeper and something more spiritual. And then thirdly, um, <clears throat> if we want to summarize or distill what God's design is for uh, our sexuality, um, I, I think we could say this, that God has designed sex to take place between a husband and a wife in the context of mar the marriage relationship as a metaphor for the marriage relationship between Christ and his church. And, you know, that's, that's what, we, what we believe as Christians is the framework that God gives us for our sexuality. And there's a lot more to talk about, and we'll, we'll be diving into those things uh, in the next couple of episodes. And there's a lot more to talk about, but if we want to keep it simple and focused on what God's design is for our sexuality, I think that's it. And so thanks for listening. I hope that this was helpful and uh, kind of made things clearer for, uh, for you uh, about what God's design is for our sexuality. Mm -hmm.